Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird, and that's normal. September is National Suicide Prevention Month. And I'll share some resources for you at the end of this episode. But before we go one second further, the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. As many of you, my family has been impacted by a suicide attempt. And this is incredibly difficult to talk about. It's so difficult that by the time I talked to Annie and my sister Holly about it, a decade had gone by. But that didn't mean we weren't affected by it or hadn't thought about it. Quite the contrary. It completely changed the course of their lives. It just took time, plus a weekend away in the cabin in the woods, to be able to talk about the pain we carry from one day years ago. Holly and Annie are getting the fires going, and we're convincing our dogs to lay down and be quiet. Yeah, like there wasn't enough heat to create the vacuum. Yeah. Do you think I should try and close it now that it's going? Let's give it a little, let's give it a few okay. more minutes to like continue to okay. get enough oxygen in there. Thank you for being a brain outside my body. You're welcome. Jasper? Stop getting into trouble. No, you're fine. You can stay. Okay. Your busty Holly is upstairs starting a fire. Yeah, because we are at my cabin in the woods in the Sierra National Forest. And she's a problem solver. She is. Always has been. Yeah. Or a problem starter. Like both, simultaneously. Captain, go to your bed. So what do you love about Holly? Oh my god, everything. Like, we are a family. Like, she's just so wonderful. Like, she's so smart. And she's very good. Like, she wants to do right by people all the time. And she's just always there. She's there. If you need her, she's there. And I feel like with her, it's a very even give and take relationship. Like when I need it, she's there. And when she needs it, I'm there. So it's just, I feel like with her, it's always been, there's always been a very great balance that I haven't found in a lot of other friendships. You may know, but Holly and Annie are BFFs. You heard the love there. But back when they were late teens, early 20s, they lived together with several other roommates. It was great. And then there was a point in time that they stopped speaking. We'll get into why. <sighs> Welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> you guys were living together. You were passing yes. notes on your door. You yes. were, Annie, you were basically a baby. Yes. <laughs> and did you guys get any tiffs when you lived together? I mean, I'm sure we did, but it was probably about dumb shit like cleaning. Yeah. I feel like we already went over the fact that I have no memory. <laughs> right. So, so everything there was fights, you would have to ask. Everything me. was glorious. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was it was actually a really great time. Yeah. Well, I mean, like we're both clean people. We are. And so we it's not it's not you that I had a tip with. It was the house in general, which is others. just like having a house with four or five people who are all 
of a certain age. Yeah, yeah like, like 20 years 20 old. 21 and below. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's going to be the numerous hard. friends and boyfriends and shit that were yes, over. Yeah, like, there was a lot of people coming Sometimes through. I had to work opening shifts at the coffee shop, so I would come out of my room and be like, yeah. everybody needs to shut the fuck up right now. Because I have to be up in two hours for work. Or I will not bring home the leftover pastries. <laughs> right. So everybody needs to shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. But usually if I said something, they did. So like yeah, it would be I don't feel like there was many, if any, people in our house who were like, "I'm an asshole because I'm an asshole." No, it was more just like we're young and self-centered. Yeah, and, no, like, I don't didn't... understand that. And like, if you said something, like if you brought it to attention, You'd be like, "Oh, shut, sorry." And then we, at that point, also when it got to be a thing, like we also made the garage like a hangout space. Yeah. So if people were being loud, they just. Until dad vetoed it because we were smoking in there. Yeah, well, he didn't like his little girl smoking. No. I mean, like, I'm sure there's been times where I was just, like, a self-centered bitch. And you were like, God damn it. Whatever. Yeah, but it wasn't anything that was ever, like... Yeah, it wasn't, like, a thing. We didn't talk for a long time. After PJ. Right. Well, and with Nate. It was the PJ thing. It wasn't... Yeah. I mean, I was with Nate, but... Yeah, but it was PJ-related. Why didn't you talk after PJ? Because I was fully traumatized. Yeah, which is perfectly reasonable. Yeah, but I would think you guys would, like... Uh, no, I was also traumatized. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, you're both traumatized, so I would feel like you would like, reach out to each other. processing. No. No, we weren't processing well, no. and... I, like, ran away shortly after yeah, that. Yeah, she ran away shortly after that. Yeah. That was... When she was gone for a while, and then... Mm-hmm. And then I got pregnant. Yeah. I kind of, like, forget that part of the narrative. Because Aaron and I will, like, periodically joke around about how... Oh, your sister had dreadlocks and ran away and cultivated marijuana and whatever. <laughs> and then, surprise, she's pregnant. She lives yeah. with us, and she has a baby, and now she's a great mom. Like, that's kind of, like, the narrative that we right. have in our brains. Yeah. And I feel like we completely have blocked the PJ part from the story. Yeah, no, and that was, it was actually really traumatic, and that was, like, the impetus mm-hmm. of, like, yeah, we ha- we basically took, like, a year break. Yeah. It wasn't like we were mad at each other no. or anything happened. Mm-mm. We were just, like, so traumatized from the PJ thing. And then the first, the first time I saw her was at the hospital. Yeah. When you gave birth. We passed each other in the hallway, and that was the first time we saw each other in, like, a year. Mm-hmm. And she had her sister locks. Mm-hmm. So we were all basically, like, put that in a box. <laughs> yeah. Close it up, put a bow yeah. in it, put it away, and then we will never think about it again. <laughs> Except I think about it all the time. Like, I still have weird, like, almost, like, PTSD from the PJ experience. Like, have you gotten therapy for that? I went to therapy for a little while, yeah. Like, immediately thereafter? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. no, like, post-processing. No, and I, I think it's just, like, weird. Like, because, you know, I'm a little OCD, so I have, mm-hmm. like, weird, like, ticks about it. So, like, immediately after, should we just, like, is that, like, an invasion of privacy if we tell the story of what happened? Absolutely not. Okay. It's your story, boo-boo. Well, I mean, I feel like you should start it. It was your boyfriend. <laughs> but no. she didn't encounter it. It's your story. Yeah. So we're going to talk about suicide. This is your official trigger warning to X out of this episode if you need to. You are loved, and it's okay to go. We'll catch you on the next one. 
Annie has asked a valid question, and I think it's the question that prevents conversation between people that have experienced a loved one's suicide or suicide attempt. It feels like you're external from the situation. It's not your story because you're only an observer, not the one that has suffered in the traditional sense. You somehow don't have a right to talk about it, but it is your story too. So we're going to share it with hopefully all respect to the individual referenced using a fake name. So Holly was dating this guy called PJ. Well, you guys, you guys had broken up, right? Yeah, I left him and no one knew. No one knew about it. I was at work that day. It was Mother's Day. Was Mother's Day. It was definitely Mother's was Day. Definitely. That is my input in the story definitely later Mother's It was Mother's Day. Day. I remember that. And um, oh my God. I was at work. <laughs> and Right? I'm like, give, please give me that glass. And, <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> PJ texted me while I was at work or called me and was like, hey, do you want to hang out? And I was like, sure, whatever. I'm at work. I'll come over after work. And he was like, okay, great. What time do you get off? And I told him. And I was like, I'll come over after. So I got off work and I called him and I was like, hey, I'm heading over. He's like, cool. See you in a few. And then I texted him when I got there to be like, hey, I'm here. And I didn't answer. So I called him and he didn't answer. So I walked into his house. And the way the house was set up is you, like, walk in the front door and you're in the living room. And then you go kind of around the side wall. And there's a kitchen. And from the kitchen, you can see into the backyard. There's a big picture window. You can see straight through to the backyard, which there was a very big tree right in the middle of the picture window. He was hanging from, he had hung himself from a, a monster guitar cable from the tree. Um, so like the thing that felt super shitty about it was like, he knew that's what he was going to do. And he was calling someone to find him, find him. And I was like, why did you pick me? (laughs) Um, I, I don't think there was any, any thought behind who, Right, I mean, you're so sick at that point. Yeah, like, I don't yeah. I don't think it, like, now I don't think it was malicious. Reasonable. Yeah. But, like, at the time I was like, what in the actual fuck? So I, I didn't, I didn't know what to do, because PJ was also, like, he was over six feet tall, like, yeah. I, I could he's not, six, three. yeah, I couldn't lift him, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything about that, so I didn't know what to do. So I remember getting out of the house and getting, like, I, well, actually, I don't remember this, I remember Suddenly being back in my car, and I remember calling Frick, PJ's best friend and roommate, and Frick never, ever, ever answered his phone, ever. And he picked up on the second ring, and I kind of don't really remember what I said. I know I said, PJ's dead. He hanged himself in the backyard. And Frick was just like, get out of the house, get out of the house, get out of the house. Like, he he was just like, go, go get Nate, who was my boyfriend at the time. And I should not have been driving, but I did. So I left the house. PJ, or, or, I mean, it turns out Frick was like two blocks away on his bike. And it's literally a miracle that he answered his phone. Frick is like the biggest, or was like the biggest flake. Never had his phone on him or wasn't charged or he just never answered it. Like, yeah. And I drove to Tower Records where my boyfriend at the time worked. 
And so when I walked in, I guess I like, like I, 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 like what I remember is hazy, but I remember one of his coworkers, I don't remember his name, but he had a mohawk, saw me and was like, oh shit. And just walked me immediately into the like employee area in the back and went and got Nate, like sat me down and went and found Nate. Like he didn't know where he was in the store. So, and I somehow managed to like squeak out what happened. And then the police called me and said I had to come back and give a statement. So Nate drove, obviously. They let him leave work. And um, I don't really remember. Like, I remember bits and pieces. But I remember getting back to the house. And Frick said, he's not dead yet. And I was like, how? (laughs) So Frick's dad was an EMT for a paramedic. And I guess, so Frick, like, knew some things. And I guess Frick cut him down. And gave him, like, CPR and mouth-to-mouth. Oh, my God. And revived him until the ambulance got there. Which is amazing. Frick is fully a hero. So who called 911? Frick did? Frick did. Because I didn't know the address. Like, I didn't know the street address, and all I had was my... Like, they didn't have a landline. (laughs) Like, like I was like, I didn't know how they would trace where it was like I can yeah, give and you were in shock yeah and like, I you was... don't make reasonable decisions when you're in shock yeah so I had to sit like on the couch and the way it was positioned I could see the tree the tree <laughs> with the cord still hanging from it the cut cord the police were asking me all these questions I, I don't like I don't really remember that and I remember a chaplain being there and I was like I do not want to talk to you <laughs> we went to the hospital and I know we were at the hospital for a long time. I remember seeing you at the hospital. Did I call? I don't remember. Who called you? I have no idea. Yeah. I don't think I did because I don't think I was I have no idea. lucid at that point. Uh, but I remember seeing you at the hospital. Mm-hmm. I don't think we really talked. I think I told you. That you broke up with him? Yeah. No, you did. Yeah. Because I remember where you told me where you I were. Know. Yeah. I just, I felt, I remember feeling like, I don't know, kind of like what I imagine, like it feels like to have a stroke. Mm-hmm. Like, I just felt totally slack. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was super weird. And then, yeah, we were at the hospital for a long time, and they had to uh, drill a hole in his skull. Yeah, for the swelling. The swelling of his brain to release the pressure. And it was, like, a, it was real, like, touch and go. We didn't know if he was going to yeah. make it. But he did. He did. He did. It had a happy ending for PJ and his family. But that didn't mean it didn't have long-term repercussions for Annie and Holly. After I knew he was going to live, I, I wouldn't see him after that. Like, I, I, yeah. I couldn't. Um, and then I saw him, like, on the floor <laughs> one day at work, and I was like, Oh. I was like, I'm going to move to the Bay Area. <laughs> but yeah, no, so, like, the, the weird, like, things that I still have where I think about it often is like, so I remember going home eventually. I don't, I don't remember if it was that day or the next day. Like I know we were at the hospital for a really long time, Yeah. but I remember having these weird, like, I don't even know, like fear, like these weird, like fears that like he was going to try again, but try again, like 
in in my apartment, mm-hmm. the the apartment that Nate and I had, because mm-hmm. I I couldn't like I couldn't rationalize at the time why like why did he call me, mm-hmm. and I think he probably called other people and they were unavailable. I think you did. I think you tried everyone. Yeah, and you were just the person that picked up the phone. Yeah, and I and I'm sure that's what it was. But at the time, like I, I was just like, what what why <laughs> like. And so, like, the, and the only thing I could think of, like, of how, like, it it was specifically the hanging, like, and, Mm -hmm. like, where would he hang himself from my apartment? And it was in my shower. Like, that was, like, the, like, the thing I kept seeing in my head. So every time I got home, I, like, whipped the curtain, the shower curtain back, Mm -hmm. just to make sure he wasn't in there. And I knew he, like, I knew he wasn't in there, but it was this weird, like, irrational. Yeah, irrational, like, fear. And I still do that. I still check the shower when I get home. Not now I have a clear shower. I figured out how to kind of like combat <laughs> no, it. Yeah. I got a clear shower curtain. Smart. <laughs> yeah. So I know he's not in there, right. but yeah, it's like, it's, but it's like not necessarily like a fear of him being in there anymore. It's just like a, now it's like a tick. You know, the story is how many years later, over a decade and we're telling this story about this trauma that we relive over and over again and for Annie she saw it and so there's some really tangible trauma there and there's things that come back in a really visceral way and for me it's more emotional you know like when I hear stories about people that do this to themselves it's more emotional like how could you be so selfish because I think back to what happened to me afterwards and it makes me so mad well it dramatically altered the course of our lives yeah yeah and it set both of us on a trauma path that i think ended us up like Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have your kids if that hadn't happened yeah i probably wouldn't have like pieced out of the bay area as quickly as i did Mm-hmm. Or piece to piece out of right. Fresno to the Bay Area, to the Bay Area. Yeah. right? Yeah, there was decisions that were quickly made, right, based on the trauma you right. experienced, right? Yeah, because yeah. yeah. it was it was within like a like a year that I was like, because it was my, like I have yeah. to I, like I have to get out of I here. I need to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Holly, how did you feel about it? Like right then, like when it happened, it was a mess. It was a mess. I felt so guilty. Because in my head, it was my fault. You know, I broke up with this guy and then he hung himself. It was my fault. Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, just to be 100% <laughs> clear, was not. Right. There was some mental illness involved and some things that he needed to deal with and hadn't. But, yeah, there was, um, I was so young. Yeah. Um, and also relationships are super intense when you're young. Yeah, and I also have mental health issues of my own. Yeah, so. that, that relationship, if you don't mind me saying in particular, was really right. rather volatile. It was. Yeah. yeah, it was really... Yeah, I mean, it was he good, was... it was good. Yeah, he was bipolar, and I have a severe anxiety disorder, so it was, like, not a great match. Yeah. Um, but I didn't even know that what I was going through was traumatic because I was already dealing with a mental health issue and um, I worked with this uh, I don't know mid 60s kind of 
kind of butch animal trainer had been around the world and had some really cool stories and and she was the one to kind of ID like dude like I think you might have PTSD from this and I kind of wished that I had listened to that I think it might have been helpful but I don't know I think I just ran from it mm-hmm. yeah we both did we both did so what did you do Holly I literally ran away. <laughs> I call it when I ran away from home. Uh, I had a, a roommate who was also going through some, I guess, transitional phases and had decided she was going to take off. And so... You just went with? Yeah, basically. But yeah, we packed our art supplies because she was an artist. I am not Here at you all. Are. I have a painting of yours <laughs> from a thousand years ago, still hanging in my kitchen. That's true. That's true, and it's just as terrible today as it was when I made it. But um, yeah, we took off. I don't know. We traveled around. We hung out with some strangers we met, and lived out of my car with my bike and my dog. And you know, during the World, what is it? The Woofers? Worldwide Organic farmers. farmers. Yeah, there's some other initial in there, but had some really great experiences. Got to travel with a friend um, that I really appreciated and ended. Uh, I was about to move to Santa Cruz into a trailer with. A young man I had met who I could only describe as he wore a top hat and listened to Nick Cave and drove a Volkswagen Beetle and it just got detected to UC Santa Cruz. And I was going to move into a trailer with this guy, totally platonic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but had a feeling and uh, went to Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So shout out to Planned Parenthood. Got a pregnancy test, found out I was pregnant, started crying. The lady said, oh, honey, you're going to be fine. I get girls in here who are 16 and get a positive test. And I was like, I live in my car. (laughs) And then I moved into my big sister's garage. Yes. Holly, single and homeless with unaddressed PTSD, moved in with me. We're going to do a quick flashback so you can hear my version of what happened, because this affects not only those who witness it, but one click out to those who care and hope to support. Also, we've been talking and stressing and drinking wine for at least an hour, so it's time to refresh bevies and snacks. So that mother's day right yes you need to rewind that i think this wine is bad no there's no such thing is it it's warm in here should i put the cheese back in there yeah because we have no more crackers now so agreed mother's day oh my god the day of the event we're back there i mean we have to like finish the story right oh my god you each provided your perspective i have to provide mine to finish the story okay so i'm pregnant Mm -hmm. i'm like I don't know, three months pregnant or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's Mother's Day. Right. Literally my first Mother's Day. Right. Holly, you're supposed to be there. My brother yeah. and his girlfriend are also there. And when you say you're supposed to be there, you mean 
you're supposed to be at our mother's house to celebrate her life. That's correct. We're celebrating Mother's Day. Correct. That's where I'm supposed to be. That's where you're supposed to be. Correct. You are not arriving. I was not there. We're celebrating. We're having dinner, Mm -hmm. drinks, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then... Well, you would not have been having a drink. Correct. I would not. (laughs) I would not have been having a drink. She had a European pregnancy. It's fine. (laughs) So I, I think that it's dad that actually got the call that something had gone awry and you were not coming and... Something had happened with PJ, your alleged boyfriend. Dad announces this to the family who's there. I'm devastated. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? We had been, PJ and I had been together at some, for some time. You were engaged. We were engaged. Correct. You were very right. serious. So he was a part of the family. You we, knew him. You loved him. Correct. Yeah. We knew him. We had done family vacations together, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So this was very upsetting. And dad says this. And then my brother's girlfriend announces to the family that she is pregnant, which is very confusing because I'm not sure how to react. I am both happy for my brother and also very upset with what is happening with my sister and her ex-boyfriend. Very upset. So that is extremely awkward. Yeah. yeah. Lots of emotions. That's it's very conflicting feelings. Yeah. So um yeah, mom and I and and your brother go to the hospital and it sucks and we're super sad and we're praying for PJ. We see you, we're praying for you, and it fucking sucked. I remember seeing you at the hospital. There, I don't. I don't even, there's nothing even more to say about it. I mean, it. like, I remember, I remember flashes of seeing people. I remember seeing Abby. I saw you outside the hospital. I was probably chain smoking. Mm-hmm. I was definitely chain smoking. You were not. You <laughs> we're, were pregnant. Oh, point. right. Pregnant. Thank you for right. reminding me. <laughs> uh, um, and I feel like like maybe PJ's mom. Like yeah, I kind she, of yeah, like she I, was there. You have like and a Frick, flash of her. Frick was there. I remember afterwards going home and our friend Fats like fist fighting him. Not out of anger, but like, really, I'm so fucking angry and fucked up and have no idea how to process this. And so please let me hit you. He did. Yeah. Of course he did. So we fought, but it was awful. Mm-hmm. So don't try to kill yourself. Please. Normal please audience. don't. Just like call the, the hotline. Yeah, Abby, call the Abby's hotline. Abby's going to put that in. This is very complex, and there are a lot of feelings involved and a lot of factors that may lead someone to make this decision. Annie and Holly both have clinically diagnosed anxiety-related mental health issues of their own. So how do they square their own struggles with the trauma inflicted on them? This 
also weird to be like, there is a person that I loved, and there is a person that did this thing that totally. is despicable, and somehow they exist in the same body. Yeah. yeah. So, did you at some point in high school, like, legitimately try to kill yourself? Um, yeah, I, um, so I have an anxiety disorder that was misdiagnosed as depression. Right. Um. Same. Yeah. And, and is, your medication did not help you. <laughs> yes. Instead of seeing, say, a psychiatrist, our parents kind of blindsided me and took me to a GP, which, um, diagnosed me with depression and put me on a medication, which in Europe was not considered an appropriate medication for teenagers because it increased suicidal ideation. Right. Um, so I was put onto a medication for a disorder that I did not have with a side effect of suicide, suicidal ideation. And while on that medication, yeah, I took a lot of sleeping pills in the hope that I would die. So, I mean, you have strong feelings about what PJ did. Yes. And that it was not right. Yeah. (laughs) So how do you reflect on what happened with you? Um, I mean, do you feel like that was as selfish as what yeah, PJ did? absolutely. And it was a, a thing that I thought about when I did it. How old were you? Around 16. And you took pills for the purpose of dying. Mm-hmm. And in the moment, is that what you wanted? Like, mm-hmm. I want to be gone forever. I want to leave this world. I'm, I want to be gone. Yeah. I did the same thing. Same situation. I have anxiety. It was misdiagnosed as depression when I was a teenager. Mine was taking a shit ton of aspirin. So how do you feel like that's different than what happened with PJ? Or not different? Personally, I feel like, one, I was a lot younger. Yeah, I was too. Two, I don't feel like I would have done it had I not been on the medication that I was on. Me too. So in, in a little bit, I feel like it was outside of my control. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and I was, I was a super, like, hormonal young teen yeah, I was a teenager like I mean he was too what were we he was not he was in his 20s we were in our 20s maybe I like mean 20 by, yeah 20 <laughs> yeah we were no older than 20 maybe I, I don't know I just I promise you we were no older than 20 because I was 21 and six months when I got pregnant yeah and this happened right before then so he was not any older than I mean but, but 20 I do feel like it's a pretty it's the difference between 16 and 20. 20 is, is kind of a lot. I don't know, man. Like, I definitely had not figured out my mental health by 20. I hadn't. Of course, I was going through PTSD from my fiancé trying to kill himself. Right. Like, <laughs> I I don't know. I, like, it did feel, like, I felt much younger then. Yeah, there was definitely, like, different life constraints like like still at home right. still in what i felt like right. was a very oppressive Didn't have freedom yeah was not in control of your life it was just it was extenuating circumstances and i wasn't trying to do it to I mind mine wasn't to attention me. yeah mine wasn't attention yeah i thought i would drive out into the middle of nowhere i thought i would go to sleep and wouldn't wake up yeah like i thought that's what it was and also Men mature later than women. Yeah. Like, PJ's 20 is your 17. Yeah. Like, brain development, emotional development, mm-hmm. 
Jeez. Well, in our 20s, Same. like 25. Like, you know, like, it's, it's, you, and I, also, I think it depends on the person, like. I think it's shitty no matter what, and I think what I did was shitty. So it's all around shitty, but what could have happened differently? I also wish that whatever the fuck is wrong with my brain chemistry could have been dealt with earlier. Yes. Like when? A teenager. I mean, I wish it could have been dealt with as a kid. Like what? Like twelve? Yeah. I mean it. I. I, I mean it's hard and. I'm able to look at it both like as who I was as a kid and as a parent, Mm -hmm. you know? And so as a parent, I don't know what's going on inside of my kid's head, but as a child, I remember crying by myself because my kid, my, my friends were going to go to hell, you know? And so there was like a very deep emotional life that was present Mm -hmm. at a young age. And there was for sure anxiety that was present from a very young age as well. And I can only really identify that in terms of, say, shyness, which isn't something that maybe you're going to address or medicate or... Or worry. Or worry. I was a worried worried kid. Yeah. I worried about a lot of things. But, I mean, it wasn't... There wasn't much in my childhood that directly talked about what it was like to be an anxious person. No, anxiety was not... It, no, it wasn't yeah. a thing. Like, right. When we were teenagers, that wasn't really like... Right. Depression was a thing. Anxiety was not. It was like depression, manic, Schizophrenia. Yeah. Schizophrenia, bipolar. Bipolar. And yeah. like panic attacks that was like the closest yeah, yeah I, panic wasn't i feel like panic attacks was like the closest thing they had yeah. to anxiety mm-hmm. but that was that was more extreme than what i was mm-hmm. experiencing at that time i definitely like when i hit puberty panic attacks were definitely oh a God, thing panic attacks were awful awful awful, awful. Uh, for me the the part the part where i get stuck at is i kind of feel like everybody has those feelings at that stage of life so like is there a solution should like literally all teens be on some kind of medication like no no i just think that having an awareness about it makes makes a, a world at least for me makes a world of difference being able to say like yeah, what I have is anxiety. Right. That's why I'm reacting the way I am. Right. That's why right. I feel the way I do. Like right, and yeah, right. I think a lot of teenager a lot of people at that age especially because of the hormone surges like mm-hmm. a lot of people experience that so like even just being able to like talk about it and acknowledge it yeah. would have been helpful yes getting so i didn't get diagnosed with an anxiety disorder until i was an undergraduate and i was an old undergraduate mm-hmm. and i took an extraordinarily difficult class And it was so hard that the way my anxiety manifested was that I would read my textbook and it was total gibberish. And I'd go back over it and it was total gibberish. And I thought maybe I had like a brain tumor. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe like there was something seriously wrong with my psyche. 
Um, and thankfully, um, I, there was a, a health center available to students that I went to and saw a doctor. And he was like, oh, honey, you have anxiety. Let me get you on the right medication. And it changed my life. Hmm. So for for one, having the correct medication was life-changing. But almost a, a bigger influence was having a correct diagnosis hmm. because then I could go into a situation that made me anxious and get the physical manifestations of my disorder. And be able to identify it. Yeah, and be able to look at that and be like, my body feels this way because of this thing. And I can acknowledge that this thing is there inside of my body mm-hmm. and go into this situation, and, you know, it's not really a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it's there. And I acknowledge it, and it's just my brain chemistry or whatever, but it doesn't need to dictate my actions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there was a lot of my young adulthood before my disorder was diagnosed that I made decisions based on what my anxiety dictated I needed to do Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that were a real handicap. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of anxiety is not knowing. Like, that's what you're Mm -hmm. anxious about. Yeah. And, and really, with anxiety, knowledge is power. Yeah, 100%. And so, like, once you know, like, oh, the thing that I'm feeling is anxiety. Yeah. And it is manifesting in X, Y, Z yeah. ways. Yeah. Like, I, because logically, you're like, oh, okay, I right. know what that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it stops being so scary. I can compartmentalize that. I can put it away. Exactly. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not having a heart attack right now. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. My heart is just racing because right. I feel anxious about X, Y, Z. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now it's making my heart race. And now I am having a phantom arm pain because my brain is telling me that I'm having a heart attack because of how anxious I am. As they said, a mental health diagnosis can be the first step in managing mental illness. But that also requires access to healthcare and specifically mental health services. So I'm going to leave you with some easily accessible resources. My friend Katie has a master's in social work, and for the past five years, she's been working closely with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, AFSP. In March, she went with them to the state capitol in Sacramento to meet with lawmakers to advocate for suicide prevention bills and youth mental health education in schools. Here's how she initially got involved with them. I personally needed help and some support for what I was experiencing in regards to mental health. And I went to one of their annual walks, their out of the darkness walks with my mom. And it just, I fell in love and it's something that I wanted to do forever and be involved in. Anywhere from like 500 to 5,000 people come together and they do a three mile walk in unity to come together for suicide and for mental health. And it's a place where people can feel supported and loved, whether you are a suicide attempt survivor or you've lost one of your loved ones from suicide, what have you, or you just know someone who is affected by suicide. It's a place where everyone can just get together and like a sense of community that you're not alone. I love it. It's amazing. Katie's going to drop some knowledge, resources for those who are struggling and for anyone who has been impacted by suicide. 
I can give you plenty of resources, but not everyone remembers all of them. So the number one, this is the like the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, but you can also use them for you know mental health as well. You can call 1-800-273-8255. It's easier to remember 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K. Um, but if you don't feel like talking on the phone, you can also text or whatever you want, but you text anything you want. And the number that you text to is 741-741. So sometimes people don't feel like they even they can even reach out when you're that sad. But if you can text, sometimes that's easier. Trevor Project, that is support for the LGBTQ youth. That's also with an AFSP, so American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, AFSP.org. They have countless resources for any kind of person, population, anyone regarding mental health. That's, mm -hmm. I swear by it. NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness but they're also a great resource. So AFSP and NAMI. NAMI and AFSP, they both have tons of support groups, trainings, webinars, videos. You'll find something for anyone, really. Mm -hmm. Even when I was going through my funky times, my parents who didn't know what they were dealing with, you know, when I was feeling really depressed and anxious, I, did, I felt super alone and like no one would understand. And I introduced NAMI to my parents and they started going to support groups. And then they came back to me, just, they were going every week and they said, Katie, we had no idea what you were going through. And I, you know, this has been super helpful. We can, they knew how to then validate me, how to listen, how to talk with me. I mean, there's so, there's so much out there, so many resources for anyone. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Anxiety and depression is so common in, you know, children, adolescents, teens, and upward and onward. Blanket statement here, but I would say generally, majority of the population, if not all of us, have at least a mild depression because of COVID and all of the impacts that it's causing in yeah. our lives. But everyone's going through some sort of funkiness, whether it's depression or anxiety or stress or loneliness just yeah. this cloud over all of us right now. The main thing Katie and I want you to know is you're not alone and that it's okay to not be okay. Everyone has the power within themselves to get through things. part of this episode was it wasn't the sadness it wasn't the fear it wasn't the long-term repercussions it was the anger there was a lot of anger most of which ended up on the cutting room floor but that anger was appropriate and it was needed to be expressed out loud especially after being bottled up for so long but what happens after the anger what happens after the anger loses its power as it's thrust into the light? Grace. Grace comes next. A mercy or pardon that's not asked for and not earned. And here's the thing. That grace isn't just for PJ. It expands right back at us. For the ways that we've hurt other people and the ways that we choose to hurt ourselves. 
My favorite priest, Nadia Bowles Weber, tells the story of long-suffering Job in the Bible. The devil in that story is called Hasatan, which means the accuser. And when she describes it, she asks, what are the things you continually say about yourself to yourself? For most of us, what we say about ourselves is not kind, and those words have power. So if you're struggling with the accuser in your brain, remember, talk saves lives. Call your doctor for advice, call or text the lifeline, reach out to a friend, and always give yourself some grace because you are loved. Thank you.